Psalm 77, the whole chapter, uh, starting on page 416, if you wish to, if you've got the same Bible, from the director of music. I cried out to the Lord, to God, for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed at all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our Lord, as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Someone close to me, I won't say who just for the sake of the recording, uh, has a daughter who has been diagnosed with um, being developmentally delayed. And I remember talking to her on the phone just after it had been diagnosed. And, um, and she said to me, we prayed for her before she was born. And out there are people who didn't pray for their kids, didn't care anything for God, and yet their children are healthy. And our daughter is developmentally delayed. I remember at that time asking her whether she was angry with God. And she said, no, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. When God doesn't do what we think he should do, 
you know, from what I've seen in life, it, it seems to have one of two effects on us. It either drives you away from God, you know, it, it drives you to disappointment, resentment, bitterness, and, and sometimes eventually unbelief. Or it seems to have the effect of driving you to God. It drives you to bring your, your pain and your anger to him. Today in this psalm that we just had read, we see the second effect. This is not someone stonewalling God. This is not someone cutting off God. This is someone complaining to God. And they're, really, they're not really holding back at all, are they? Look at verse 1 with me. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. Now, the reality for the psalmist here and and for anyone, really, is that no matter who we are, it's really hard to handle when God doesn't act and we think he should. It's it's really hard to cope with it when God doesn't act and, and we expect that he should. And I don't doubt that, um, that at those times we'll have questions that go through our heads. I mean, you see them um, in Scripture throughout the place. You see people saying, where are you, God, in those times? What are you doing, God? And we, likewise, have these questions in our own lives. I mean, I've certainly had them myself many times. Today, we're talking about suffering from our own personal experience of it. And we could talk about suffering in abstract. You know, we could talk about the questions that come up from things like the earthquake disaster in Nepal. Where's God in that? But we're not doing that today because this psalm is about the kind of suffering that we actually experience that hurts us and keeps us up at night. Not with a philosophical problem, but with a personal pain. As we read this psalm, like Mike said, we don't know the details of, of what exactly is causing the writer to cry out to God. We're not told exactly what's causing him to suffer, but we do see its result. His suffering has prompted him to have an issue with God. In fact, in verse 3, the very thought of God causes him to groan and it causes him to question It's like he's lying there unable to sleep at night and questions are are racing through his mind as as they do, tormenting him. Look at the questions in, in verse 7. Look how pointed and almost accusing his questions are. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? This is bold crying out to God. When you look at the questions that the songwriter is asking, it gives gives us a clue about what he's actually suffering. His questions are about God's rejection, his love withdrawn, his promise failing. He, He seems to be... His questions, they really seem to be about God's relationship with his people. Now, probably this psalm was written around the time of the exile. You know, the writers looking at the horror of what's happened. The northern kingdom of Israel is completely gone, really. In the south, in the southern kingdom, the temple's destroyed. 
The walls are smashed down. Almost no one is left. Every educated, artistic or military person has been taken away to Babylon. And the songwriter says, what's happened to your promises, God? The words that he uses in these questions strongly reflect the words used in Exodus 34.6. When Moses asked to see God's glory, God reveals himself to Moses. But it's not so much by what he sees in the end, it's by what he hears God say. And this is what God says. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. With these questions that the songwriter is asking, he's questioning the very heart and character of who God reveals himself to be. This is extremely bold crying out to God. And God himself has given it to us. You know, who's the ultimate author behind Psalm 77? It's God himself. He's given it to us in scripture. Do you see what this means? It means that the right place to bring our questions, our frustrations, even our anger, is to God himself. That's what he wants. He's not fragile. He's not afraid of what we're feeling. He wants to hear our objections and he wants to hear them in their brutal honesty. Well, what sort of objections are we likely to raise before God? You know, where do we expect God to act and we struggle when we don't seem to when he doesn't seem to act in the way that we think he should? Well, as I thought about this, I thought it's in so many places, isn't it? The older you get, the more you come to realize that we all will suffer, that we all will have areas where we wish God would intervene. You know, whether it's our health affecting our life, interfering with our life. Some of us, and I've spoken to some of you, have got chronic pain always present. And we ask God again and again to take it away. Some of us have depression, stopping us from being who we used to be stopping us being who we want to be. And we ask God to free us, but he hasn't. Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us are in the process of slowly losing them. And we question God's unfailing love and he just doesn't seem to answer. Some of us have suffered marriage breakdown. Some are suffering marriage disappointment. It's not what you hoped it would be and nothing seems to be changing for the better. Some of us are single and don't want to be. You know, it's Mother's Day today. And yet even, even Mother's Day can be a source, can highlight in many ways our suffering, can't it? Kathy and I, on, a, on our day off on Friday, were in at Central Markets and at one of the shops, uh, we overheard a conversation where the shop assistant said to the lady in front of us, are you going to have a nice day on Sunday for Mother's Day? And she said, no, not really. And the shop assistant said, Yeah, neither will I. I find it a bit of a sad time. See, some of us can be struggling with children and disappointed with the kind of parents that we've turned out to be. Some of us are childless and don't want to be. And some suffer with adults, children who don't know Christ. We all will suffer in this life. And sometimes in that suffering, we cry out to God with our own questions. And and we say to God, I followed your way, yet here I am suffering where's your love where's your kindness 
Where are your promises now? Now, if that's what's in our hearts, God already knows. It's best to be honest about it with him and to pour out our objections to him. But that doesn't mean we leave things there. Turning our mind to God, objecting to God, questioning the very character and actions of God actually helps us to take a necessary step in wrestling with our suffering. We see this step played out in this psalm. There's a change. It it really kicks in this change in verse 11. Previously, the only memories that the songwriter had coming to mind were those from better days, days with music and songs, the the good old days. Now, those sort of memories, they don't don't really give us much comfort in the end. They, They just make the present more painful. I, uh, I got to visit a community group this week um, and when I was there, uh, someone said this line, to live in the past is to die in the present. That was a men's group. Can you believe that? It was almost poetry. <laughs> so I, was, I was stunned. I thought, does Thursday what group have lines like that coming out? It was beautiful. My, my uh, brother, who's an art therapist, puts it slightly different, differently. He says, the past and the future are dangerous places to dwell. But at this turning point in, in the songwriter's wrestling with God, he causes himself to remember something else about the past, not his good old days. The songwriter forces himself to remember things about God. Have a look at them in verse 11. He says, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? Do you see what he's doing? Do you see the words that he's using? See them up there? Remember. Remember. Meditate. Consider. This is an active, deep reflecting on God's actions in the past that leads him to conclude that God's way is holy and that God is absolutely unique. We see in in verse 15 what he particularly reflects on. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. He remembers God's redemption, his, his salvation of old. He meditates on the defining origin of God's people, the beginning, their beginning as a nation, when God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt by doing the impossible, parting the sea. Have a listen to how he meditates on it in verse 16. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. The songwriter, he he looks back to God's actions in the past and it helps. It helps as he's wrestling with his own present struggles. But why? Why does it help to look back at what God's done well first it helps because it shows the power of God 
God's power is ridiculous, right? It's majestic. It's terrifying. Imagine passing through the sea. Water towering on one side. Water towering on the other side. Almost darkness with the clouds covering and and underneath the, the, the shadow of the towering water. The only light coming from lightning flashing backwards and forwards across the sky. I bet you that then, back then, as they were walking through the sea, they had no doubt that God went before them. But how does that help now? Well, it helps us to see that God is not quiet because he's incapable. If back then God could break into action and tear apart the waters like he did, there can be no doubt that he has the power to do it again. God can heal in an instant. God can repair relationships God can bring justice and avenge. In our suffering, there's no doubt that God can act. And of course, the next question that arises if God can act is why doesn't he act? Is he perhaps not good? Looking back helps there too. Because looking back shows the character of God. Verse 19. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He remembers that God uses his power for the good of his people. In the terror, there is God going ahead of them, shepherding them, caring for them, redeeming them and rescuing them. God is able. God is good. And so the real question is, does God change? The psalm doesn't really answer that question definitively, I don't think. It raises the question, but it only starts to hint at an answer. It hints that the one who leads his people like a flock is not going to let them be lost. It hints that God will act and, and he will act for their good. But we today don't rest on hints. We see more of the picture than this songwriter. As we wrestle with our own sufferings, what do we look back at? Well, we look back to our origin, to our redemption, our great event, where God led us like a flock, where God came down and he walked through the the shadow of the valley of death for us. We look back and we see the power of God where Jesus redeemed us from our great enemy, sin and death. We're defeated once for all. We look back and we see that God is good as God in Jesus enters our mess to end it. At the cross, we see without a doubt that God does not give up on his people. Suffering pretty much never has neat answers. We hardly ever know why the things that happen to us happen. And it's distressing. It is distressing. It's really hard to handle. Our suffering in many ways is, is like the back of a tapestry. When you look at the back of a tapestry, it, it just looks like a mess. You just can't figure out from the back what the picture is on the front. And this life, we only see the back but one day we'll see the front when Jesus returns 
we'll see the glorious picture that God is creating. We'll understand that day why God needed to stitch things the way they are. And we may never know the meaning of our suffering in this life, but we know the one who does know. We know that he understands our pain because he entered it. We know that he fights on, on our behalf to end our pain because God, the Son, suffered as the man Jesus on the cross for us. And we know that he will end our pain forever because Jesus is coming back for us. And in the end, what he brings can't even compare to the suffering in this life. Can we live with our suffering not knowing its meaning? Well, we do, don't we? Because we know God. I want to spend the last three or four minutes thinking through a little bit more practically how we can help ourselves and and each other to wrestle with our sufferings now. And the first thing I want to say is that we need to acknowledge them. And for some reason... Christians sometimes think that life is going to be smooth when you follow Jesus. Where does this idea come from? I mean, I, I grew up expecting this. Maybe it's, it's verses that you see on fridges and that kind of thing, like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great verse. But remember... God gives them this hope, gives them this verse, while they're suffering in exile. Or maybe it's verses like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. But of course we need to keep in mind that straight paths can still lead through difficult places. Or Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the context, the good is to be conformed to Christ's image, to become like Jesus, even through suffering. Actually, in the context, it's especially through suffering. See, we don't have to pretend. Christians will have hard times. As Christians, we will have times that that keep us up at night questioning God. And this leads to the next point. The second thing for handling sufferings is that we should expect them. This is slightly different to the last point, because the last point is about acknowledging that suffering's out there, but that it's you know a part of the Christian walk. This point's closer to home. It's about expecting to personally experience suffering in your own life. Now, in some ways, I'm mostly speaking to those under 30 here, or to teenagers, I'm speaking to you. The older you get, the more you realize that everyone suffers in some way. Expect to suffer. Don't be surprised by it. Be prepared for it. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Prepare yourself now for suffering. How will you handle it? When it comes, will you let it drive you to or from God? Will you let it grow you to be more like Christ? See, I think it's actually worth reading books now when you're not suffering. Strengthening your faith now. Building strong Christian fellowship now so you're ready for it. 
And this ties into our next point. When we suffer, we need to try to see it from God's perspective. Now, this is hard, partly because when we suffer, our world tends to shrink. And it closes around ourselves. Our pain and our struggle dominates, and it's, it's hard to hear or see anything else. Part of the answer to our suffering is to lift our eyes. This is not to you know, deny our suffering or pretend that it's insignificant. It's to say that the answer and the way to deal with it is not found by withdrawing within ourselves. Did you notice the way as the psalm progresses that the songwriter lifts his eyes from himself to fix them on God? There's a shift from his struggle, his pain, to remembering and meditating on God. When we suffer, to help us see things from God's perspective, the first thing we need to do is to bring our suffering to God. Ask God the difficult questions. I reckon maybe even write them down. Voice them somehow. God wants to hear them and it can help us actually to hear them too. Even use the Psalms to bring your objections to God. And as you're questioning God's actions and character, do what the the songwriter does. Look back. Look back to your origin. Look to Jesus there on the cross taking your punishment for your sin. God in human flesh suffering for your sake. His love for you, the only thing that's holding him there. Suffering to bring your suffering to an end. To help us share God's perspective, we need to bring our suffering to God. We need to look back to Jesus. And then finally, we need to meditate on what's to come. The end of suffering. Where God himself wipes away every tear from our eyes. Where there'll be no more pain, no more sadness, no more death. The final thing I want to say about suffering and how to handle it today is to accept it. In a way, to embrace it. Not as a a friend, but as a reality. Now obviously, if, if we can take steps to end our suffering, we should. You know, if you can see a doctor and, and, and end suffering that way, we should. Or if we're in an abusive relationship, muster the support and end it. We should end that suffering if we can. But I'm talking about the kind of suffering that you can't end, where sometimes you cry out to God, you tell him your problems, and he says, no, he's not going to take it away. In that case, we don't want to gloss over our suffering, but neither do we want to wallow in suffering. As much as possible, we need to accept it and get on with it, knowing that God's at work in us by his Holy Spirit, even through suffering. But let me just say, part of accepting it is to be realistic about it. We're limited, finite people. We're broken. What I'm saying is that part of accepting suffering is to realize that it has a real impact. If you've been hurt, or betrayed, or let down, or taken for granted, it has an effect on you. It affects the way you relate to people. Pain affects us. And so we need to go easy on ourselves, and we need to go easy on each other. We don't know each other's stories. You don't know if, if the reason that someone sounds irritable after church is because they're actually dealing with, with serious pain in that moment. 
or they're feeling cut off um, because they can't hear properly. We don't know these things. We need to go easy with each other and we need to carry each other's burdens. We bring them to God, yes, but, but we bring them to each other honestly and allow each other to help. And that's why community groups are so great because they're a really good place where we can do that. Let me just add, though, when people do tell you about their suffering, don't try to fix it. Just listen to it. Listen to them. At a church I went to in the past, there was a family that suffered unbelievably. The father was in a wheelchair. They'd lost their daughter in her early 20s. They'd lost their son in his, as he was about to turn 30. And their last son was bearing up under the effects of, of the rare condition that was affecting them all. And yet it's actually hard for me to call to mind a family that trusted God more deeply, that leaned on him so heavily and that sought the salvation of others so urgently. Now, I know that story is not unique. I know that you know stories like that too. Why is that the case? It's because when faced with suffering, we either throw ourselves into the arms of a God who feels our pain even more acutely than we feel it. Or we throw ourselves into nothing. Just empty meaninglessness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know without a doubt that you are powerful and that you are good. Thank you, Father, that we know without a doubt that you haven't given up on us. As we look back and see Christ on the cross there for us, we see your power and we see your character. We see your goodness and your love at work on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that as we look back, we're able to look forward to what's to come, to a world without suffering, a world where you will personally dry every tear from our eyes. Lord, as we endure suffering now, help us to do it in a way that honours you, in a way that brings our frustrations and anger and pain to you, that leans on you. Lord, help us to support each other as we do that, to bear each other's burdens, and together long for the day when Christ will return and end all suffering in this world. And we pray in his name. Amen.